the open portal before us this morning that we may enter in. May we see the glory fall. May we see the fire of heaven. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. May there be flows of the river of life here this morning. And Lord, may it come from deep within and may it be poured from above. Lord, because your word says, out of the belly of a man will flow rivers of living water. Holy Spirit, we can't do without you. We need you this morning. Come from above and come from within. Release your word this morning. Release your life. Release your vision. That, Lord, your work on earth may be done. That we may be instruments to you, Lord. And part of your family. Sons and daughters of the living Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God is good. Amen? Good morning. Are you passionate for him this morning, eh? Hallelujah. By the way, I've got a word for you. Don't be discouraged, yeah? You two, don't be discouraged, yeah? The Lord is working in you. You will see the fulfilment of what he's got over your lives, yeah? So don't be discouraged. You may be going through discouragement right now, but don't be. It's just part of what the Lord's doing right now. He has to do his work, yeah? And your little son is praising the Lord out of the mouth of babes. Come forth the praises of the Lord, eh? Amen! Amen. Hallelujah. So, at the prayer meeting with Sadhu, yeah? And we were praying, uh, at Sadhu's meeting, we were praying beforehand, and I just saw the old anointings over our nation. The old anointings. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I can't describe, I say, Lord, please, uh, you know, explain to me what I'm seeing, but I just see the old anointings. Yeah? The wells over this nation. And I just, I, I, I just felt the Lord saying, think about wells, think about what it means, and Open your eyes, Ian, and, and, and open the wells. That's what I felt the Lord saying. So I thought, well, I'm going to look at this, and I'm going to talk about this, and we're going to go for it, yeah? So this morning, there's going to be testimony, yeah? Now, it's interesting that the word testimony, let me tell you what it means in Hebrew. And that's why testimony, which is mentioned over 125 times in the Scripture, the word testimony you'll find over and over and over again. That's why in meetings you will see testimony given. We testimony, don't we? Because there's power in it. The word testimony in Hebrew is aiduth. I don't know if I said it right, but you know. It means do it again with the same power and authority. That's what the word testimony means. I'll say it again. It says, do it again with the same power and authority. So, Lord, do it again. Do it again in this nation. Amen. Do it again with the same power and authority across this land, Lord. Amen. And that's why whenever you see revival, you see it being poured out in different places because people bear testimony. So God responds, and he quoted, um, you know, from Revelation 3, I think it was, uh, uh, where it's Jesus talks out the sword of my mouth, <sighs> you know, comes with a word. And, and, and this, this is the sword of the Spirit. It's the word of God. It <laughs> so whenever we give the testimony in line with the Lord, it comes with power. Yeah, so I give my testimony fearlessly because to give glory to the Lord, to allow him to move in you and I. So testimony is incredibly important. Smith Wigglesworth, for all the anointing he walked in, known as the apostle of faith, the secret of his power was holiness. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he reminded constantly, constantly spoke about the day that he was baptised in the Holy Spirit even towards the end of his amazing life. Because he reminded himself and he reminded others of the power of God that was working his life and my life. Remind yourselves constantly of the things that God has done in you. It is powerful. It's effective. And the word of God does not return 
empty. Amen? So that's why, you know, part of my testimony is I've chased revival. That does not mean I've replaced it with intimacy with the Lord. Because through it, the Lord has shown me what, it's, what intimacy with the Lord is and what holiness is. And I've always had, throughout my Christian life, I've always thought about wells. We talk about the wells of salvation, don't we? Now think about a normal well, okay? When you get to a well and you're in a desert, boy, do you need a well. It's drink, it's blessing, it's refreshing, it's revival for goodness sake. Yeah? That's a well. There is a physical understanding to well. And just look at it in the scripture. So this week I read the testimony of Abraham and Sarah. And I was deeply moved. There's 12, 13 chapters. Abraham, the life of Abraham begins at chapter 12 in Genesis and his death is in chapter 25. I was deeply moved when I read Abraham and Sarah. I felt their love for one another. I felt their anguish over not having a son. I felt their joy. I understood their meeting with the Lord. It, it, it was as if I knew them. Honestly, I'd never had this experience before. It was as if I felt I knew Abraham and Sarah personally. And then I was reminded of Job 48, where, you know, I believe we did know each other in times eternity past. But there was something, it was a personal to me. It was awesome. I encourage you to read this very personal story. So full of emotion and passion. So full of the destiny of the world. The destiny of the nations is in that story. Yet it's personal. At that time, Abimelech, this is Genesis 21, and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in that country where you're living as an alien the same kind of kindness I've shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech. Abimelech's a type of pharaoh, really. About a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this. You did not tell me and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you've set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my lamb, uh, from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Now Beersheba is one of the most amazing places in Israel. Beer is the Hebrew for well. Sheba, we can argue about what it means, but it's well of witness or well of seven oaths. Okay? So it's a well. It had deep meaning for Abraham. He dug a well. And it takes effort to dig a well. Have you ever tried to dig two feet? One foot even is enormously hard work. You dig a well 50 feet deep and you know about it. It takes a lot of effort. Genesis 26, six, sorry. Now we're into, we're into Isaac. Abimelech, this is another Abimelech probably, said to Isaac, move away from us, you've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerah and settled there. That's very close to where Abraham had been in Gerah. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them, meaning the wells, the same names his father had given them. Wow. There is spiritual significance in all this. 
you know there are always layers of interpretation of the scriptures. So there's the literal meaning, the literal uh, historical value of it. And there's all sorts of other things that come out of it. So here's Isaac unstopping the wells. Yeah? Now, how do wells get stopped up? They get stopped up with dirt and filth, don't they? Or they get deliberately stopped up. And here we read that the Philistines, the hated enemies of Israel, right until now, stopped these wells up, these wells of blessing and refreshing that meant so much to Abraham and all his family. Just as an aside, by the way, one of the things that... uh, really took on a new meaning for me this week was when Sarah died Abraham insisted on buying land back from a Hittite a place called Machpelah if I pronounce that correctly but forgive me, my Hebrew's not you know, great near the great tree of Mamre and the scripture tells you that's Hebron great significance Hebron And that's where Abraham was then buried. And Abraham and Sarah were buried there in Hebron. And you can see it to this day, the traditional site in Hebron. In fact, the building over their tomb, and I've never been to Hebron actually. Have you been, Ginny, to Hebron? Uh, But there is actually over this tomb, half of it's a synagogue and the other half's a mosque. Because, of course, Islam traces back their traditions to, uh, you know, to, to... to Abraham. So, you know, even to this day and age, there's this kind of great, you know, battle, if you like, uh, over, over that sacred... It's the second most sacred site in, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish uh, culture. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And, you know, the other thing that struck me about this message about uh, Abraham and Sarah is that Ishmael was given... Hagar was given the blessing for Ishmael, okay, she got a blessing. Read about it in in Genesis 17, we'll talk about that. But Abraham, for Isaac, got the covenant of promise, okay? It's a big difference. The covenant of promise. And it's to him and his descendants that, you know, all nations will come from you. You know, the population will cover the grains of sand. Within the blessing that was given to Hagar, by the way, and her son, of course, was the, was the promise, if you like, the prophecy that he'd be like a wild donkey and that he would rise up against his brothers constantly, which we see, and of course, Ishmael, from Ishmael, descends all the Arabic nations. So you know these things about world history, we look back into those early chapters. Incidentally, Hagar was by a well when she received that blessing. And actually, Hagar, in the Bible, was the first person to have, if you like, the appearance of God before her, called a theophany in, by theologians, where the appearance occurred. And that's why she called uh, that place el Wa the place where she saw or she heard God. So Hagar was actually the first person to have that. The next chapter, Abraham sees the Lord and is given the covenant of promise. Yeah? It's awesome stuff, this. So we need to understand what wells are. So I was a revival chaser. I, I, I still am in many ways. That's just what God's put on my heart doesn't mean I don't believe in anything else. It doesn't mean that I don't put intimacy with the Lord first. Please understand that and understand it within the context. But I've chased revival. I mean, in my 25 years ago, I was chasing it hard, really hard. And, um, you know, that's when Toronto started. And I chased it so hard, I had three dreams and I went to Toronto. And I met the Lord in a dramatic way that still lives with me today. I say that is my testimony. We came back from Toronto, three of us went. We came back and we saw a well open in our own church. We had people coming from all the surrounding area to come to feel the power and presence of God 
we were carrying people out of our church, literally, at the end of meetings. We saw incredible stuff. We ran a school, we still do to this day. My old church still runs a school. The power of God fell on the kids in the school. They were laid out under the power of God. The teachers were laid out under the power of God. Here's an example of testimony, by the way. So we were listening to Oral Roberts' son, Richard Roberts. This is Denise and I. We were sitting one day in our room. We were watching Richard Roberts give his testimony of the power of falling on him in joy and laughter. And my wife, Denise, starts laughing and laughing and laughing. Can't, you know, it just came out. It's the testimony. Do you understand what I'm trying to give to you today? It's the testimony. It's the testimony. It's the word of God will not come back empty. That following day, she goes to our school. We have a big school site. Uh, we had a, you know, we've got a big school. We've got a big site where our church met. And um, walks into the office and literally people start laughing. And then the spirit of laughter broke out through everywhere. Just people laughing, the joy of the Lord. And you know, when you receive the joy of the Lord, I don't mean physical, I, I don't mean kind of, ha, ha, that was funny. I mean deep, deep, that comes from deep laughter, that pours out. It's healing. It's refresh, refreshing. <coughs> it's infectious. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 6. <coughs> Sarah laughed when she heard from the Lord, you know? Laughter is of the Lord. It affects your whole soul, spirit and being. It's, it, it's just amazing. And my wife laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And it went on for two, three years. You know, that amount, that laughter all the time. And, and it, was, it, it was a joy to see. I watched, uh, the Lord gave me a gift where I could see the Holy Spirit over people during this time. Hallelujah. And I could see the spirit of grace upon my wife. She became a deep intercessor over this time. Prayed for hours, I mean literally hours in the Lord. Led the house of prayer. And I saw a deep, deep grace. Deep grace. The Lord blessed me in another way. But I was jealous for for that, actually. Because I was going off to work. I'm confessing my sin in this, by the way. You know, we have to confess. I became very jealous. And at times I got angry. Because the spirit of grace was so underneath. I could see it. And during this time I could see... People's anointings in the spirit over their over their heads. It, it was an amazing time, but the Lord was teaching us, you know, because laughter is the way through to things beyond. We don't stay in laughter. Do you understand that? We move deeper. We move more profoundly. You know, we were saying in those days God was having His church back. It was holy chaos. It was literally holy chaos. But God, people were having deep encounters with God. Deep, deep. It wasn't anything led from the front. And it happened all over the world. This country, and this is one of the points I want to make, there are two things about this nation that God did. Use this nation as giving uh, credibility to the move of God in the, ni- in, in the 90s. Because 6,000 churches, it is estimated, in this country got affected by that move. And it went to the rest of the world. From, obviously, from Canada, from Toronto. But this country was deeply affected. Many hundreds and thousands of people got deeply touched. And there was something prophetic about that. Because I believe, and always have done, that this nation is a father of nations. It's a leader of nations. I wonder why, when it comes to the election this week, the whole world was focused on this nation. It's had deep impacts. I don't know if you know this, but the impact of Boris Johnson being elected on Thursday, praise the Lord! Friday. (laughs) Hallelujah. I tell you, my heart, I was leaping. I tell you. 
but it's already had a deep impact on the American politicians. Did you know that? Yeah, the Democrats are running scared. I tell you, Trump, this is Andy prophesying this, Trump will be re-elected. Andy has, Andy has prophesied Trump's impeachment will fail. And he'll be re-elected. So we have a window of opportunity. That's what I'm coming to. You know, we have work to do. and We're about to engage in the biggest battle we've ever engaged in. Absolutely. And that's why what I've said about what Toronto has prepared us, I, I don't mind, by the way, if you'd never heard of it, I don't mind if you weren't in quotes affected by it. You were, because this nation has been. And there's a, there's a dew upon the ground in this nation. Yeah? There's a watering that has occurred. Toronto reminded us of it. And that's what's so important. Because we must understand the rich heritage. This is why the Lord has spoken to me about the wells that are in this nation. And that's why I chased them. I went to Pensacola. I flew out the door backwards under the power of God. Yeah? In Pensacola, let me tell you because I'm going to move on to this. There was one evening where John Kilpatrick, and I'm sorry if I've said this before, but I'm not sorry because I want to encourage you. The fire of God was so in that place that he would point at people, he would see the darts and the flames coming out of his fingers, they would go straight to the person he was pointed at, they go bang and get transformed. And he was doing it as the intercessors in the back room were praying what he was prophesying. Yeah? That's God. That's not just a meeting. That's what, we're, that's what I seek. You know, as I was praying and seeking the Lord this week, I don't want the flesh. Do you? We don't want the flesh. We want the genuine manifestation of his presence in us. Don't we? We want the fire. Yeah? We do. The, thing, the two things that the Lord showed me about Toronto, and I'll say it again unashamedly, because the Lord is now talking to me about this more and more, is holiness and fire. Okay? Fire. I say it again, fire. When I was under the power of God, repeatedly, over a period of two years, three years, I can't remember now, a couple of years, as I was under the power of God, I just, all I could say was fire. That's all I could say. Fire! Because that was a prophetic word for what God is going to bring on this nation. And we have now this window, this five years of grace to bring that in. Yeah? Amen? It says in Matthew 3.11... Jesus says, I will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How much teaching have you heard of in your life about the baptism of fire? Have you heard any? It's not taught about much, but we miss that second part of the sentence. Go back to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came in with a rushing wind. Incidentally, during the uh, Eskimo revival, uh, what are they called? The Inuit, Indians, yeah? In in about the mid-90s, their revival started, they were playing, I've heard this on on tape, it's awesome. They're playing on the guitar, this bloke was playing on the guitar. They suddenly heard a mighty rushing wind went through the the auditorium. The guy on the guitar dropped his guitar and ran out the room. Yeah. And do you know why there was revival there? Because of an Anglican minister that had been there about a hundred years before that started that well. They were reopening the well. Yeah? Forgotten what I was saying before I interrupted now. So the apostles... In chapter 2, 
They had the mighty rushing wind and they had the tongues of fire. Yeah? Yeah. They had fire. And they were changed men. They were no longer of themselves. Now, I've read the book that I spoke about last time and, um, you know, the thing that came through to it, I was so excited because the baptism of fire is something that the Lord has shown me. Yeah? Right, here comes the Lord. Just whenever the Lord comes, just take him. Yeah? Take him. Take everything he's got. Just have that hunger in your heart for more. So the Lord showed me about the baptism of fire. And I was so excited this week because two things happened. Is I came across an article on the baptism of fire, which I've got here, written by actually Michael Marcel. Only wrote it in February this year. And in the middle of the night this week, I had tummy ache. Do you feel sorry for me? I got tummy ache. And I couldn't sleep, and I got up, and I had to get up because I had so much pain, I couldn't sleep. And I went downstairs, and I started praying. I thought, right, let's listen to Neville Johnson. That's what I thought. Opened it up, bang! Where do you think I landed? Neville Johnson speaking on the baptism of fire. Okay? Talking about it. The baptism of fire. Now, the baptism of fire is biblical. Oh, I'm going to speak about this today. But anyway, the baptism of fire is biblical. And it really came to its fore in the history of our nation during the time of Wesley. And what so blesses me about this is it was linked to his move of holiness. And what you will read from the ministers of that time is that they experienced this sanctification and fire at the same time. They were transformed in an instant, many of them. Many of them have been crying out to God for two, three, four weeks. Crying out, day and night. I want to give you some of the things that happened to these carriers of the fire. That's what I want us to be. That's what I want to be. A carrier of the fire. Are you a carrier of the glory? And do you know what the cost is to be a carrier of the glory? We'll talk about that. But these ministers, these people who were fire igniters during the time of Wesley, it's back to what Andy was saying. They cared not about persecution. Their lives were in danger. You know, let's imagine the conditions of Wesley's time. It was in the middle, and, and because I read about climate change, I know this, but there was a kind called the Little Ice Age, and it lasted from about 1350 to about 1850. So Wesley and all that, they had the most torrid winters. Terrible, terrible winters. They would walk for 30 miles in a day. They would walk through 10 to 15 feet of snow. They would ride their horses so that the saddles froze every five minutes they had to get off. That's how cold it was. They would sleep in little huts with no fires, with a threadbare blanket over them through the night. So cold they couldn't sleep. They would go day and night without sleeping. They would pray without ceasing. They would have for a meal once a day a little bit of soup and a little bit of bread. They wouldn't sleep for months. They were put in prison, and prison in those days was there were no lose. You just did it where you were. And it was so deep, it was up to their ankles. They had no straw to sleep on. They would sleep in it. Yet they carried the glory. They carried the glory. They carried the glory. And the move of God in those times was so great, we're still in the dew of it now. All our society, everything we do comes out of that. Yeah? In fact, the biggest recorded revival in this country was actually 1859. Before that, I want to talk about Yorkshire. Yeah? 1794 was the great Yorkshire revival around Dewsbury. Okay? 
Read about it. Think about it. Pray about it. 1859 was what's called the Great UK Revival. There were revivals in Ulster, revivals in Scotland, Aberdeen. There were revivals in Wales. There were revivals in the UK. And by the way, revivals in those days lasted for two, three years. They didn't last for a couple of weeks. They went on and on and on. The last revival in England was 1921. It was the Fisherman's Revival. It's the lowest off revival. It kind of went on at the same time. Fishermen out to sea five miles away would feel the power of God. Yeah? And that was the last revival. The last revival actually in the UK was 1949, the Isle of Lewis. I've been to the Isle of Lewis. You've heard me say that many times. And we have to ask ourselves, why? 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 Have we not seen revival for a hundred years in England and for 70 years in the UK? Why? I'm asking why. Yet this country has proven that actually there is a remnant people who are hungry for the Lord. You know, with a move of God in the 90s. Yeah, 70 years is very prophetic. We talked about last time I spoke was November. I don't think you were here. I can't remember. You were here, Andy. But, you know, 70 years, something happened, didn't it, that, we, that caused us to think about that. And, um, you know, 70 years. You know, God wants to move. God's given us grace. Let's talk about that. So the, the issues are that we want the fire, don't we? And that doesn't come from someone talking at the front. It comes from a deep yearning within your and my heart. I came down this week. This is my testimony. I'm giving you unashamedly my testimony. I came downstairs this week. I felt the presence of the Lord in my house. And I could feel the anointings of old. The reason is because I live in an area that's free of contamination has actually seen revival before. Yeah? I can feel it. I can feel the Lord talking to me and saying, Ian, I want you to pray. I, I need, I'm saying it publicly. I'd better do it, haven't I? I'm serious. I am serious. We are serious. We want to see God move. And we are going to need the fire of God and the anointing of God like never before. We are for such a time as this. We are the men of Issachar who know the signs of the times. We know them. You know, we talk about progressive revelation, don't we? Yeah? You understand progressive revelation. The scripture demonstrates progressive revelation. He first showed himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, Genesis 17, but showed himself to Moses as the personal I am who I am. Yeah? It was progressive and it ends with Jesus. God incarnate, the Son of God. So for our lives, it's progressive revelation if we keep in him. You know, we're transformed day by day. You know, being saved daily, aren't we? So it's progressive revelation. So in other words, you and I have got more responsibility than anybody else. We've got more revelation than any previous generation. To whom much is given, much will be expected, it says in Luke. Yeah? We're going to be expected much. That's why we need to think and, 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 and understand the testimonies of those saints. We were talking about it last night. But there is a change in the guard. Reinhard Bonnke died recently. Neville died recently. People like Darren Prince have gone to glory. Oral Roberts. All these people that we know. Um, Paul Kane. Billy Graham. Sorry, Lord. Sorry? Chuck Missler. These mighty men and women of God who've given us so much. Do you know, each one of those, I think I can say, I've learned from. You know? We now need to rise up as men and women in him. And that's going to mean persecution, by the way. Let me tell you, John Knox, I stunned by this. I didn't know this. John Knox of Scotland. By the way, we need a United Kingdom. 
That's another reason for praying. We cannot let our kingdom be divided. It needs to be united. Yeah? It's the forces and powers of darkness that are trying to divide. That's what the spirit of malice is, is a spirit of division. Yeah? We need the United Kingdom. And I've forgotten what I was going to say. What was John the last? John Knox, Scotland, 1730s. Yeah? Single-handedly, because he knew God, and he was so pressing into the Lord, changed the whole of Scotland from a serfdom to a citizenship. You think of that. One man. See, that's why I'm saying it's not a preach on a Sunday that does it. This is an encouragement to say, I, it begins with me. And I have, I have prophesied for over 20 years about self-ignition. I got that out of Toronto. It's up to me. I can't rely on Andy or Heidi. I walk with them and I love them and we covenant with each other, don't we? This starts with me. It starts with me. I need to be the prayer. I need to follow him. So why haven't we seen revival? So on one hand, we have this progressive revelation to whom much is given, much is expected. On the other hand, do you know, if we had the equivalent of those numbers that got saved in the 1859 revival, do you know what equivalent that would be in this country right now? It would be somewhere between 10 and 15 million people saved. So if they could do it in 1859, why can't we do it now? Yeah? And if we're a father to the nations, and I believe that's true, I believe the prophetic anointing on our country is that, then why have the nations come to us? They've come to us for two reasons. One is because they want to remind us, because a lot of Christians have come into this nation, they want to remind us of our heritage to enable us to be released into our destiny to send it out to the nations again. Yeah? That's what it's about. You know, I have to thank the African church. You know, I was blessed enough in my last two years in London. Most of my patients were Africans. They used to sock me their gospel. They were fearless. They were fearless. Let me tell you. They don't care. They go out and... They're all Nigerians, most of them. But they're fearless. They don't care what people think. You know? Now, you know, there's a mutual... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Transference. You know, they learn off us, and we learn off them. Yeah? But we need them. So, where are we now? You know, I want to pick up on something that I think is really important and has been speaking about quite a lot. And that is, he's quoting from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live uh, in the body, I I live by faith in the Son of God. Amen. So I've been crucified with Christ. That's the key. Are we crucified? Let me give you a little example. We, you know, our church in London, we live very closely together. We lived in community. And, you know, there's some things, you realise what goes on in your heart. So somebody parks their car outside your house, and that is your parking place. How do you react? You know, it may sound quite straightforward, you know. But it's those little things, isn't it? You know, you go to church and someone's parked in your car parking place. Or sitting in your seat. seat. You know, the little things demonstrate how important. How do you value money in your life? How do you value your time? How much telly do you watch? One of the things that many of the modern revivalists have said is that we watch too much telly. Yeah? How many hours a day do you watch telly? What's your favourite soap? In the bathroom. <laughs> but these are important questions we have to ask ourselves. 
Do you buy a newspaper? A newspaper. Smith Wigglesworth wouldn't allow them in his house. I've told you that before. What do we let in through the TV box into our house? Hmm? We're called to be holy. You know? How do we react in our car when we're driving our car and somebody goes in front of us? It uh, reminds me of the Dan Muller story. He was given a brand new car and the first thing that happened to it is got written off by a woman sideswiping him. Don't worry, sister. You're fine. Yeah? Wrote the car off. You know, these are the important things that we have to think about in our daily life. You know, I'm challenged by them, aren't you? You know? So what DVDs are in your house? How many 18s have you got? Good. Fifteens are pretty bad. Well, twelves aren't that great, are they? Actually. <laughs> and, and yeah, and it's the subtle things. Even as a child, there was some Disney that I, before I got saved, couldn't handle it. It, it, it made me feel very, very. Ugh. I don't watch Disney actually. I, I can't. I can't. I can't handle it. No, 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 no. You know, Bonhoeffer talked about the cost of being a disciple. And, and, you know, you read people who've counted the cost. We're living in luxury, guys. We're living in luxury. Now, that doesn't mean to say that isn't a blessing of the Lord, because the reason why we have this luxury is because of the saints that came before us. But we've got to remember that. In our secularist world, we believe it's our right. It's not our right. We have to handle it with responsibility. Yeah? So, that, so more and more Christians, you know, are, are thinking about these things, about eternity, about the return of the king, about the revival that's needed, about the transformation of society. I heard Benny Hinn uh, a couple of six weeks ago in a very honest interview, and he, he said these things. It's really struck me. He said, I know that I'm getting older. He said, I don't know how long I've got to live. But he said, my passion right now is getting to know Jesus. That is the passion of my life. He said, all the massive meetings I've been used in, all the great crusades, all the massive ministry I've had, he said, they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, I think, wow. He's getting, you know, he, he openly admits he's getting more revelation of that. And that's what I want. I want more intimacy with Jesus. And out of that will come what the desire of the heart that the Lord has put on me, which is revival. How long have I spoke for? So, the UK and this book, Marcel, uh, written by Michael Marcel, quotes there are 2,500 wells in this country. He's looked at every single one of them. So there's lots of wells here. Wesley's favourite place throughout his ministry was, guess where? Otley. In Yorkshire. Otley. That's where he considers, in his 50-year ministry, the greatest move of God occurred. Otley. Okay? So in this area, there are wells. And what we have to do is we have to do what's, what Smith Wigglesworth do, is look into heaven and forget what we see about the filth on earth. We bring heaven down and we see it open up. And what we've got to pray is easier to unblock a well than it is to dig a new one. All right? We can all, we, you know, there's no reason why we can't open up new wells, boys and girls, brothers and sisters. But we can unstop the old ones, can't we? Because it's easy. I just get a bit of dirt out. I can unstop a well in a couple of days. I can dig a new one, take me weeks. Doesn't mean, and I believe this is a well, by the way. God has shown me that. I've said you that many times. I literally saw the angel pass the baton to Heidi and Andy here. Okay? So I know there's a well here. 
right? But what's so interesting, I just want, can you, have you got the pictures? So where I live, okay, I won't be showing you my house, but if you're going to have the first picture. So there's a well about 100 yards from me, where I live. That is the grave that I've been to of the revivalist, and he's buried about, I don't know, 300 yards from me. Okay? I've been to that grave, and I've prayed. You know, we've all been to Smith... I've been to Smith Wigglesworth's grave and prayed. I believe in the Elijah. You know, they threw the bones down, didn't they? Or the man of God, sorry. Threw the... You know, wherever touch got raised to life, yeah? So there is a principle in going... You know, that's a well. This was a mighty man of God. I'll tell you who he was. He was Dick Atkinson, was his name. Richard Atkinson. He was a um, gameskeeper by trade, and he died at the age of 41. The reason why he died at the age of 41 because he basically went without sleep for years, as far as I can tell. And he was passionate for the Lord. He was, he saw, uh, he was so prophetic, he saw future events. And wherever he went, revival broke out. Now, I live in a valley called Garsdale. He lived in Garsdale. So we go on to the next one. I'm just trying to earth what I'm saying. So that's his grave. It's, you can just about, when you read it, when you're up to the grave, you can read his name. Um, but you can... Next one. Uh, so that is where I'm going to the carol concert tonight. Uh, this is a chapel opposite his grave. He preached in this chapel. It's the primitive... Methodist Chapel. Let me tell you about primitive Methodists. So the Methodists came out after Wesley and Whitfield died, right? Greatest move of God in this nation. Uh, and remember, they were based on revivals by preaching the open air. There are a couple of uh, Methodist ministers in 1805 that wanted to restart preaching in the open air because they'd been to America and they'd seen the revivals going out there. Guess what? The Methodist convocation stopped them. Yet that was how it was founded. And they stopped and preached in open air. So guess what? They broke away and formed the Primitive Methodists and they saw more revivals. So this, the Primitive Methodist chapels came after Methodism, but they were revivalists. Yeah? Next picture. So that is the Primitive Chapel. This place has seen revival. That revivalist Richard Atkinson preached in here. Let me earth this a bit. One of the people that converted in his meeting was a guy whose surname was Alan. He lived in a valley called Grisdale, which is an offshoot of our valley, yeah? He was so moved by God, his whole family got saved. His great-grandson owns the land around our house, who I know. They're all Methodists. They saw revival, yeah? Next picture. So this is in the middle of a terraced house. It's the smallest church. This is Grouse Hall. I love this house. I've been and I've laid hands on this house, even two years ago. I've seen the angels around this house. That's where Dick Atkinson lived. It was bought recently and it's been completely renovated, as you can see. But that is Grouse Hall. Do you know what I've prayed? I believe this has happened. Those angels have been reallocated. But actually, do you know what I've prayed? I've prayed for a higher level of angel, okay, with more responsibility and more... Message carrying ability. Okay? So that's Grouse Hall. As you can see, it's in the middle of nowhere. Next picture. That's another picture of it. Denise and I, you, know, you can see our car up on the left. So you can see this is rough country. He would walk everywhere. Over in the background, that way, is Bow Fell. Okay? I can tell you it's desolate. Desolate. He used to walk that winter. You know, you, if you walk, take a wrong step, you can sink up to your waist and die in peat. You've got to know where you're walking. Look, look at the tree. The wind. Yeah. The wreck of the tree. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was windy that day. We walk this road. I walk and, and I, I want the heartbeat. Well, I feel it. I know I'm walking in revival country. Yeah? yeah? yeah. I know it. Next, next slide. So that's just, you can see how desolate it is. We see the same hill. Our house is further over there. And that's, that's, that's Grouse Hall. That's a well. Ne- next, next, 
Next picture. Oh, next picture. Next picture. I took a lot of these. Oh, that's just what you look at from Grouse Hall. That's, how, that's what we see as well. Convert the sheep. Next picture. Okay, so that's when he died, they built this. This is in Grisdale. There's a book written about this called The Valley That Died. This valley had about 16 farming families, about 120 people. They saw revival in the 1880s, yeah, from Dick Atkinson. You know, uh, and they built a chapel after he died to his, uh, in his memory. Next, next picture. Next picture. These are just all the same. Next, and that's Chapel House, it's called. It's now a, a holiday home. Right. This is in Sedba. That hall was the hall where they had a 16-week revival in 1882. They call it the Great Sedba Revival, led by Dick Atkinson, who I t- just told you about. Let me tell you about how this happened. So he, the elders of the churches in Sedba, the Anglican elders, said, please can you come, we're going to hold some meetings. So Dick Atkinson said, yeah, I come, I'll come, I'll pray first. So they, st- they said, well, the meetings start on day one. So they held meetings, and by day eight, he's, he still hadn't turned up. Day eight, he turns up. He was met with angry pastors going, what are you doing? We've been expecting you for eight days. Do you know what I've been doing for eight days? Praying day and night. Yeah? He walks in. Yeah, I don't need to tell you anymore. Revival broke out. Yeah? Hundreds got saved. Now that's where I... So that's now a bookshop. You know, Denise walked and I walked into it. We'd always thought that looked quite a new building. But actually, the day of this, the year of this revival was 1882. And Dick Atkinson walked everywhere. Through any weather. He walked everywhere. Grouse Hall wasn't a modern, you know, centrally heating, calagast beautiful stoves that it is now in those days. It was drafty on the moors with howling gales, yeah? And he was a gamekeeper. He used to beat, you know, so that people, the grouse would all fly out, so they'd shoot them. So this place was built a long time ago, but it saw revival, so it's a well. So I'm surrounded by a well of revival, and that's why tonight, I've had a vision uh, when I was in Australia of revival in that primitive chapel. I'm going tonight, so I'm leaving this beloved crowd. I'm going tonight to go to the carol service there because it's a tiny room. I kid you not, it's, it's, a, it's a room, really. It's a room. And still to this day, they've got the bench where they used to get the people to kneel down with genuine conversion. Still there. It's still the place where Alan Senior got saved. Oh, and by the way, I didn't tell you the complete story about him, because Dick Atkinson at the end of the meeting said, that man's going to get saved. And he was walking out the, the, the chapel, and Alan went, huh, heard that. And he said to his friends, no way, I'm not going back, forget it. He was back within two hours on his knees, under the power of God. So, you know, there's something about a move of God that is really important that we've got to get a hold of. It's this depth in here. It's the crying out the soul. It's the understanding of sin, of the meaning of hell. You know? Do you know what hell is? Have you experienced it? Has the Lord shown you hell? You know, Moody himself said, I wish every Christian was dangled over hell. Have you experienced the fire of heaven? Do you know the most holy place? Have you seen God? But you know, this is what God was reminding me. This is why we need the wells. We need the wells in here. Do you understand that? The wells of understanding what these saints had. That we can take, but obviously, you know, (laughs) the old has gone, the new has come. Yeah, I understand that. I know that God is going to move in different ways now. I understand that he will surprise us. I understand that he wants to move in. I understand that we're in the end times. I get that. I'm not sure I've got the revelation of how hard it's going to be. 
I understand how hard it's going to be. I don't know how hard it's going to be. Do you understand me? But I want, and I know that we're going to see revival. I know we're going to see revival. And my prayer is that we get stirred by it at an individual level. Yeah? We've all of us got our own destinies. We've got a common vision. Yeah? We've got a common vision. We're, you know, Andy and Heidi are very, very clear about the common vision. You've got it, all of you, by the way. You understand it. You're part of the remnant. It's a, it's a, it's a glorious, glorious uh, blessing and privilege to know and be part of that. Yeah? But at an individual level, we must know how God wants to work through us. You know, a simple thing. You know, when we're walking in the Lord, seeing demons flee, yeah? How many of us have got the faith to pray to see a demon flee? You know? It's an important question. And more still, we need the spirit discernment. So, these are things that, you know, I love. I, I went into my study yesterday. I, I, you know, we're real, aren't we? We're real people. I went into my study yesterday. I thought, Lord, I really enjoy this because this is where I meet with you. This is where I get the revelation. And I'm not pretending I've got the revelation. I've explained to Andy just in the last 24 hours. There's revelation Andy's got that he's taught and preached about. I'm struggling to understand. I just haven't got it. I'm being honest. But that's okay, because I'm, I, I, I was praying about it last night, Andy, or this morning. Give me the revelation, please. But we all get different revelations in different areas. That's why we're part of the jigsaw. That's why we're synergistic. That's why we're part of the body. The toe can't see and the eye can't walk, you know? That's the approach. So we can't actually be envious of each other's, you know? I want to I just, you know, I want to honour my wife. She's not here today, but I want to honour my wife. She got massively blessed, massively touched, in an incredible way. And you know, she's walked through the fire, my wife. She really has walked through the fire since then. And she's coming out of it now. But boy, has she walked through the fire. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. And I've, you know, I've been partly responsible for some of that. And I'm just confessing it to you now. She's an amazing woman. She's walking through it. She's coming through the other side. But you know, she's been touched by God. And she's counted the cost. She really has counted the cost, my wife. She's laid down her life. She's laid it down for me, really, as well. She's laid down her own ambitions. But, you know, she, is, she has been pulled through the fire, let me tell you. But God is good, you know. God is good, and she's never lost hold of God. She has not lost hold of God. But that's what revival is, you know. There's a cost. There is a cost. And we're going to see that cost. Let's stand. I think one thing I'm certain, we'll see the firefall. We will see the firefall. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I want to be honest with you, you know, I've been very sensitive to the Holy Spirit over the years. It's part of what God has done. I can tell, you know, we all have different gifts. Can you hear me? I'm just being real with you, just being honest with you. I know, I feel it in my spirit when I, I feel the Lord moving. I know when he's going to move. I'm not saying that in any way that makes me, you know, anything other. I just want to be honest because we need each other. And right now, some of you need to feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. Okay? For his sake. For the sake of what is to come. I am sure that we're going to talk about the window of grace that we've got over the next five years. 
But be ready for two things. One is persecution, and the other is a massive move of fire of the Holy Spirit. They'll come together. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord God, fill us with your presence and your love today. Show us what you need to show us. Lord, we are open to you and we want to open our hearts towards you and say, do what you will, Lord, in us. Lord, we offer our body, souls and spirit to you as living sacrifices. We count ourselves dead to sin and we give you as if you need this. Lord, we give you full permission to touch us where you want to touch us. If you want to be touched by the Holy Spirit, wherever, come forward. I just feel that you need to come forward. You don't have to, by the way, but if you want to be touched by God in the coming months, is this okay, Andy? Let's do it. Be touched by God wherever he chooses to touch you. Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. We give you permission to touch us. We genuinely ask you, Father. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord. Take the dross out, replace it with your fire. Replace it with you, replace it with your fullness. Lord, quicken our hearts and our minds to obey you, to live lives of sacrifice, to lay down idols. Lord, to repent of sin, but to go forward in holiness, Lord. So, Lord, experience the baptism of fire. In Jesus' name. Amen.